ओम ज्ञान Indian English saying there is in English English there is no such thing but time pass but rather bhagavad gita teaches us that with the passing of time we are spoiling our lives unless we understand what is the actual purpose of life that there is an underlying purpose of life and of existence should be axiomatic to any person who thinks a little bit deeply mostly nowadays people don't think deeply deep thinking is discovered knowledge is manipal is called knowledge city knowledge means to cram different facts and information in your head and in different fields how to utilize these interactive pieces of knowledge and thus become qualified as a doctor engineer or whatever however this is not deep thinking it may be that one has to deeply think to to uh, just like for instance if you're writing some software you might want to do it in a you might want wish to write some software in an innovative manner in the advertising industry which is more or less the cheating industry and all industries the cheating industry but advertising industry means it's naked cheating there's always always one should be thinking of some new way to do something so you may have to think deeply maybe write your advertisement upside down it's already been done of course but something different try to do something to catch the attention because who's interested in looking at so many boring advertisements so try to put something in so you may think deeply but when we're talking about thinking deeply we're thinking we're talking of thinking beyond the whole materialistic concept of life in which we simply get born we grow up we struggle we die and we never think on a level beyond that simply where to get food ahara nidra bhaya maitra where to get food how how to eat and sleep and have sex and how to protect my position money and prestige and all the accoutrements which go with it so this is not very deep thinking you see generally of course manipal is especially well known for medical studies medicine engineer whatever and generally you find that uh, doctors not always but in many cases they tend to be somewhat proud and think themselves some kind of super being better than the normal human being others they just consider objects patients patients or potential patients they are they're not doctors they're not on the same level as us so they consider the, this high opinion they have of themselves and other people also tend to have a high opinion of oh, doctor they tend to have a high opinion there may be various reasons for that one reason is that to become a doctor one has to amass large amounts of knowledge which uh, is not easily understandable by the common man 
However, this amassing of knowledge is not deep thinking. In modern life especially, it's very much under the influence of what Bhagavad Gita calls Rajaguna, or the mode of passion, in which everyone is rushing, 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 under pressure to do so many things, to amass material objects, to increase their prestige. But no one is thinking deeply. What is the purpose of life? For that one has to come to Sattvagun, or the mode of goodness. Sattvam Sanjayate Jnanam. Only in the mode of goodness, Sattvaguna, can real knowledge develop. So when we speak about knowledge, here we're speaking about that knowledge by which one can uh, perceive what is the actual nature of existence. If we just step back a little bit from all this mad rush of studying and partying and trying to make oneself look better than others physically and academically and in so many other ways. If we step back and we look, what is the actual situation? That this uh, endeavor for prestige and sense enjoyment, it is childish, it is on the same level as the animals. Just like we see a of course, you don't see it because you live in the cities, but in, in the villages, you see there is the hen and the rooster. And the rooster thinks himself very great. He, he tries to show himself as being a, a very great being. There's a saying, proud as a rooster. Until he gets chopped up and put in the pot. He's very proud. He thinks, I'm so great. So this uh, endeavor for prestige to promote oneself, I am very great, this is simply as foolish as a chicken. It may be said that for all the knowledge one has acquired, one has come to the level of a chicken. And just like the chicken gets chopped up and put in the pot, so in due course of time we will also get put in the frying pan of death. It is inevitable. So. Real intelligence or real knowledge begins when we stop endeavoring for those things which even the chickens and the dogs and the cats have, which is sense enjoyment and the sense of trying to promote oneself as being better than others. Sattvaguna means cool-headed introspection. Introspection and extraspection, there is such a word. Looking, what is the nature of this world? If we examine, we may find it is very confusing. What is the nature of this world? So many different philosophers have given their opinion. Krishna in Bhagavad Gita summarizes the nature of this world in two words. Dukhalayam Ashashvatam. This material world is a place of misery and everything here is temporary. So an intelligent person considering this should then consider them, after all, what is the purpose of life? Everyone does something with some purpose. One comes to study in Manipal with some purpose. The purpose may be to get a degree the purpose. That's the general purpose. Incidentally, one may party, make friends, and so many different things. But the general purpose is to get a degree. For what purpose? To set oneself up in life and future, to satisfy one's parents, to fulfill the expectations of one's relatives, or whatever it may be. These are the general reasons for which one comes to Manipal. And then, this is the, this is the general purpose of students in this phase of their life. And in everything we do, just like uh, at some point we go to sleep, we lie down with the attempt to go to sleep, there's a, pur everything, there's a purpose because we feel tired. If we don't rest the body then we can't 
things or act properly and we get sick or we just feel, we may not even think about it, but just, hey, I'm tired, let's go to sleep. So everything we do, we maybe drink some Pepsi. What is the purpose of that? I didn't really work that out. But uh, people drink it because it's advertised that you get some happiness from it. I never found out what happiness there is in a bottle of Coke, but people are drinking it because they're, they're fooled by the advertisement that if you drink this, you'll get some kind of happiness. So with the purpose of getting the, the happiness of drinking Pepsi, they drink Pepsi. So everything is done with some purpose. No one does anything without any purpose. And if we examine the underlying motive in every activity or every purpose, that is, uh, the purpose underlying every activity, ultimately it is to get happiness. Everything we do, we do for the sake of getting happiness. We come to study at the, uh, in, in Manipal to get the degree so we can be set up for our future life, that means we won't have financial difficulties in future or because we want to please our parents because they want us to get a good degree and we don't want to disappoint them. So everything we do is for happiness. We're feeling sleepy, so the, the mitigation for tiredness is sleep. So we sleep. Everything we do, we feel a toothache, go to the dentist. What is the purpose? To get rid of the discomfort that is interfering with our happiness. So in this way, everything we do is meant for happiness. But then we find in Bhagavad Gita that Lord Krishna states that this material world is by nature miserable. Whatever we do, we can't be happy. We can never be satisfied simply on the material platform. Now, most people won't agree with it. Well, yes, I can be just give me a million dollars and definitely I'll be happy. Just give me a, a ticket to America and definitely I'll be happy. People think like that. But we see there are so many millionaires and they're not intrinsically happy. No amount of money can make one intrinsically happy. And going to America doesn't make one happy. Although the, the living conditions and the work opportunities may be better, it doesn't mean that people are automatically happy because they're living in America. As a matter of fact, about four or five years ago, the LSE, London School of Economics, it's not very well known here, but in Europe and America it's highly rated. It's maybe the, the world's most prestigious institution of economics, which is not that important subject anyway, but anyway, LSE, some LSE professors did a study of, the, it was called the World Happiness Survey. They interviewed, they, not personally, but they arranged for interviews in most of the countries of the world. Some countries they weren't allowed to do it, like so-called People's Republic of China didn't allow them. But they did question, they gave people questions like, well, do you, do you like your, your mode of occupation? Do you like your job? Do you feel content in your family life? And so many different things. And they found the world's number one happy country. Of course, it's a subjective thing, but uh, it gives some indication. The world's number one happy country was Bangladesh. And uh, America came in about 35, Britain came in at 50 something, and Russia was even less, and Latvia, all those places. Yeah. So they say some places have happiness but not money, like Bangladesh. Some places like America have money but not happiness. And there are other places like Russia, which don't have money or happiness. <laughs> so. What's better, to be rich and miserable or poor and miserable? I guess better to be rich and miserable. I don't know. They seem to think so. Anyway, even the happiness 
that the people of Bangladesh feel. Actually, I, I know because I lived there many years myself in Bangladesh. Their happiness is based on a very deep sense of faith in God. That's my experience. Muslims, Hindus, Christians, whatever it may be. I had the experience once, one young man at the airport asking what one religion is, and because we're pretending not to have, just to be there as tourists in the airport anyway. So I said, well, I don't have any real religion. Just be you were shocked. Don't have any religion. He was very surprised. So, uh, so they may have some sense of happiness, but then even that, they still have to suffer disease, death, old age, all these different things. So, a sense of faith in God, this is, uh, this is an atheistic argument for why one should, why it's good to believe in God from an atheist's point of view. Because it helps you to cope with the problems of life. In old age and disease, you can feel well, you know, there's no real problem because I'm going to go to God. But this is just another atheistic argument about why religion is good. It because it makes people moral and better behave. But these arguments for being religious, these are not good, these are arguments proffered by atheists. That, that fits in with the idea of religion being a psychological prop for people, for cri prop means for crippled people. People are not psychologically strong enough to face the fact that there is no meaning in life, there's no God, and therefore they believe in religion. This is what the, how some atheistic psychologists would have us believe. However, uh, if we examine in a truly philosophical manner, which maybe most of the people of Bangladesh don't do, most of the religious people of the world don't examine in a philosophical manner, they simply have some sentimental feeling that there is God, but they don't really know who God is, and most of them don't really want to know too much who He is. Just there is God, okay, God protect me, but you know, you be God and I'll be me and I'm here and you're there and don't bother me too much. I'll go to the temple, I'll offer a prayer and you know, that's okay. I'm me, you're God. You're great, I'm small, so you just give me blessings and you know, keep your distance like that. <coughs> but a mature approach to theism doesn't begin with the question of God, it begins with the purpose, what is the purpose of life? Often people ask us, oh, why do you believe in God? The question itself is premature. Because they're asking, why do you believe in God? And they don't even know what they mean by, by the word God. So the first question should be, to understand what is the purpose of life. We're doing everything that we, everything we do is with the purpose of getting happiness, but we find that in this world everything ultimately ends in unhappiness. Why? Why is it that in America where it's promised that by, by having the good life, money, facilities, so many things, one will be happy. People are not happy. There's so many murders, so many suicides. There are three million people in prison in America. That's a lot for a country of only 270 million. Three million. And there would be more, but they don't have enough space. So that, that in itself shows there's something seriously wrong with this society. Anyway, I won't dilate on that further. But, uh, we can simply accept those who are a little thoughtful on the more than mundane platform. We can understand that money, facilities, all these things in themselves, they do not bring happiness. So then an intelligent person seeing this should consider 
But what is the purpose of life? Now, some people say there's no purpose in it. But every, everything they do is with some purpose. They say there's no purpose in life, then why are you eating? Well, I'm eating to keep the body healthy. Well, if there's no purpose in life, then why keep the body healthy? Let it starve. Why should you feed the body? Well, because I don't eat, I feel hungry. So then there's purpose. No one can, this argument that there's no purpose in life, no one can live according to that. Everyone acts with some purpose. Everything we do is with some purpose. So the really intelligent question, which is for all the, for all the pride with which it is said, Manipal is the knowledge city of India. It's just another place of ignorance, that's all. Because the really important question, what is the purpose of life, is never asked. Nor is there any encouragement for asking this most essential of all questions. That we see everything is done with purpose, then what is the underlying purpose? What is the meaning of everything? We see the whole universe is so complex. For what purpose is it made in such a complex manner? Now, of course, another class of, of foolish people or the same foolish people spouting another famous foolishness will say that, well, there is no creation. Everything just comes into being by chance. I was just discussing this the other night. This is, is it? Anyone who says this, they may be a PhD, but they're being number one, that everything comes into being simply by chance. Nothing comes into being by chance. The, the complexity of the universe is so, or, or the nature of the universe is so complex that our modern scientists can hardly begin to to understand it at all, even though Science is much lauded as a being very advanced. This science itself has hardly begun to understand what is going on in the universe. In the uh, in the biology class at school, I was taught that the average cell in the human body is uh, it's like a little city. They showed us all these little drawings of this and that. And they said that scientists will sh soon be able to reproduce them. So, I wrote in my exam this and I got the marks. And I, I guess that helped me to pass my biology exam. But if I wrote that nowadays, I'd fail giving the same answer. Because nowadays scientists say that even the most simple cell in our body is so exceedingly complex that we can hardly begin to comprehend it. Now that's only a cell, and what to speak of uh, the rest of the body and so many different bodies and the astral bodies. A few years ago I was speaking with a neurosurgeon. This is a man who operates on people's brains for his living, so he should know what he's doing. But he told me that we don't actually know how the brain works. The, the generally accepted theory is that impulses are passed from neuron to neuron. But he said we don't actually know that. It's never been proved. We just, we just presume that. We don't know if that's what actually happens. We don't actually know how the brain works. So he told me. Of course, if you put that in your medical exam they'll fail you because they pretend that they do know and you have to write your exam and then you can tell others this is how the brain works but those on the higher level they know that we don't know so the whole even the human body that's why the doctor is considered the doyen of human society because he's he's studied the nature of the human body. But that, oh, even to become a doctor, one has to study how many years? Six years? Six years. Five years plus internship, something like that. But even then, you're, 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 that, even though that's considered a very great achievement to become a doctor, 
but still you don't know that much, it's just a general kind of introduction. And then if, then if you have to specialize, then you have to take more time. So, even after studying for six years, if you, if you really want to know how the, the, for instance, the ear works and how to solve problems with ears, ear and ear, then you have to go for specialization. And even then, one may be a, may be a specialist or a super specialist, and still not really know that much about what's going on. I had this experience about a year ago. I had a kidney stone. So I went to the urinal super specialist, or whatever it is, and I asked him how stones are formed. How long does it take? And he said, well, we don't know. And that's, you know, that's half of his job, is, is kidney stones. Half of the people coming to him are the stones. And he said, well, we think it's like this, and we think it's like that, but we really don't. We don't know how long it takes between the, the, the beginning of a formation of a stone and, and, and when you feel that, hey, I got a stone. We don't know how long it takes. We don't know exactly why. We recommend don't eat this and don't eat that, but we don't really know if it affects the uh, formation of stones. So, how much, how much do we actually know one thing we can understand is that this universe is extremely complex. If even the human body, if even a cell in the human body is so complex, then what to speak of the whole universe? So it's a, it's a totally bizarre idea, dreamed up by, I mean, it may be PhDs and Stephen Hawking's and whatever, but if you examine what they're saying, it's just nonsense. That everything is coming to being just by chance. There was nothing, and then there was a big explosion, and then there was everything. What a wonderful scientific theory. Explosions don't bring order, they bring disorder. If a, if a terrorist is brought to court, that you exploded this bomb, yeah, well, I did it because, you know, the whole street was, was all the buildings were looking old, and I thought I'd improve them a bit by having an explosion. See, and then after the explosion, all the brickwork and everything could fall back into place more neatly. Where did you get that idea? Well, I learned at school. There was a big bang, and then all the universe fell into, all fell into place very neatly and nicely. So if it works on the universe, then it should work on a back street in a town in India also. You killed so many people, well, I thought, you know, some, some of them were sick, I thought by an explosion maybe their body would blast to pieces and fall back together in a better way. And save you plastic surgery also. So if you have a bumpy nose, then maybe when the whole body gets exploded, goes up in the air and comes back down again, oh, there's no bump on my nose anymore. That was good. It saved me going to the plastic surgeon. It's a joke. When you put it in these terms, it sounds like a joke, but this is what the mad so-called scientists are saying. Everything comes into being by chance. And we are supposed to believe this, and people do. And they even call it science. So, at least in Christian consciousness, we're not so stupid as to believe all these stupid things that people tell us in school and college and all this. <coughs> Obviously, although they'll never teach you such things at school and college, there's more to life simply than getting a job, getting old, and then getting burned or getting buried, depending upon which religion you're supposed to belong to. There's got to be a higher purpose than this. So, Bhagavad Gita teaches us what is the actual purpose of life. The actual purpose of life is to realize who we are, who is God, and what is our relationship with Him. 
them with this, this endeavor for self-realization and God-realization, every other endeavor in human life is so insignificant as to be ultimately meaningless and inconsequential. To put that in terms of what that means to you as a student in Manipal or whatever else you may be doing. Your highly prestigious course to become a doctor or whatever it may be. Of course the doctors are not coming here. They don't come to things like this. They're, they're too advanced to come to such discussions. They consider it below their dignity. Anyway, whatever we may be doing, <laughs> it is ultimately meaningless. Whatever, Bill Gates, whatever he's doing is ultimately meaningless. If he doesn't know what is the purpose of life, without understanding what is the purpose of life, then one remains abodha jata yavanna jigyasata atmata yam. As long as one does not inquire into the ultimate purpose of life, then one is simply defeated in the proper purpose of human life. One remains in ignorance. One may be ignorant as a PhD, one may be ignorant as a rickshaw driver. It's all different stages of ignorance, that's all. PhD means highly advanced in ignorance. If he does not know what is the purpose of life, that means he's amassed so much information in his brain, which is simply uh, a diversion away from the real purpose of life, which is to understand who we are, who is God, and what is our relationship. This is the ultimate purpose of life. This is the purpose for which God has given us intelligence, not simply to build big buildings and then knock them down again, or have someone else knock them down. Not simply to get a string of letters after our name, which most people don't even understand what they mean anyway. Not simply to get money, prestige, popularity. These things are all inconsequential to a person who has realized that the purpose of life is to understand God and what is our relationship with Him. This is the only important subject matter. Because this is the of the very essence of our being. Nowadays, in India, they've introduced the Western idea of express yourself, show your individuality. This means simply, this expressing yourself means simply to show your foolishness, that's all. If one does not know what is the purpose of life, then to blab in various ways, or to wear one's hair in various ways, express yourself, wear green hair, blue hair, all these different things. In the, in the West, this idea of expressing yourself has come to such extremes as people dye part of their hair green and, and have it sticking out like a big spike here, and another red spike here, like this. This is already old. This is more than 20 years ago they invented this kind of expressing themselves. But they, they say we're expressing ourselves, but they don't know who they are. They say, I want to show my individuality, but who are they? They are conceiving of themselves in terms of their bodily identity. But the body is temporary. We're only in this body for a very short time. If we are to actually express ourselves, we have to know who we are. 
We don't know who we are. And they ask someone, what is your name? My name is Subhashri Vastat, whatever, some name. But that's just an arbitrary designation on the body. The body will die. And then the name will come in the death. The name came in the birth register, it will come in the death register. And no one will care for Subhash, Chandra, Srivastava, whatever his name may be. No one cares. Maybe the wife cries a bit, then she gets the life insurance policy and life goes on. No one cares. It's insignificant. But we intrinsically feel that I am significant. I have some importance. Why is that? Because we do have importance. Because we are connected to Krishna, who is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It's difficult to uh, describe all these points in ways that people can understand. How, when we say God, this term is very vague and insufficient. But the correct term to be used is Krishna, which is specific. God, people, they inter- this word they interpret in various ways according to their various imaginations and the various imaginations they've heard from others. They may think God is everything, everyone is God, and so many. No clear idea. But the actual definition is Krishna. And then the definition of every other living being. Some people, some people in their ignorance say that everyone is God. That is not correct. Everyone except Krishna who is God. Everyone except Krishna is a servant of Krishna. This is self-realization to understand this. But mostly people do not and cannot understand. Why? Because avajana antimangurha they think that Krishna manushintanamashritam param bhavamajananta namabhuta maheshwara they cannot understand Krishna. They think he's some ordinary person or they they refuse to accept Krishna's supremacy. Therefore, moghasha moga karmana moga jnana vichetasa rakshasam asarin chaiva prakritim mohinim shitaha Because people in this material world, most of them do not accept Krishna as he is, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, their knowledge is bewildered, covered with ignorance. Their activities are covered with ignorance. Their endeavors are covered with ignorance. And therefore, they partake of various foolish and demoniac ideas for avoiding Krishna. But self-realization is actually very, very simple. Nevertheless, most people cannot become self-realized. Cannot means they can, but they don't want to. <laughs> or they, 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 Intrinsically they can, but they cannot due to their own stubbornness. Just like a donkey, if he's decided, I won't go forward. Means he can go forward, but he cannot because he's made the decision that even if I'm beaten with sticks, I won't walk forward, just to show. May God harm me. I'm a donkey. My Godhatva, my donkiness, should be exhibited. Let it be known that I am a proud donkey. So most people are like that. They, uh, they avoid the fact of Krishna. And even if presented, here is Krishna, 
we all have our eternal relationship with Krishna. Come to Krishna and we can be happy, not in this superficial going to a party, drinking Pepsi-Cola and getting intoxicated, not this kind of happiness. Not the kind of happiness that comes from putting lots of letters after one's name and being respected as a great doctor or a great businessman or whatever. Not the happiness of eating various kinds of food at the cafe or having sex in various ways. Not this superficial happiness. This is called Brahmasuk or genuine spiritual happiness. It is very easy to achieve because it is our birthright. We are all Brahma, we are all spiritual by nature. Simply we have to accept that Krishna is Param Brahma, he is the supreme spiritual person. And all problems of life are solved. It's so simple. But most people will refuse to take it up. Maybe there are different reasons for that. Vita Raga by Due to attachment to this material world. Because we think that, let me try to be happy in this material world. Even though we see that no one is happy. No one has ever been happy. The statistics are against us. If we see, as ever, as anyone ever, just like we say in Bangladesh, people are happy. That's also relative, because they also have to die and suffer disease and old age and so many things. Basically, this material world is miserable. So, this is the foolishness that everyone is suffering. Everyone, since time immemorial, has only suffered in this material world, but we're thinking, I'm going to be happy. I saw once a person, he'd, he was having terrible headaches, so he went for a checkup and, and was diagnosed as having brain cancer. And he was told that, well my dear friend, just for your information, no one is known to have ever survived brain cancer, so book yourself a box in the coffin. So he told me this, that no one ever survived, but I'm going to be the first to talk. And he wasn't the first, and still there hasn't been the first. He died within a year or so. <laughs> so everyone is, mostly in this material world, everyone is attached to the thought, I shall become happy, even this material attachment, even though no one has actually ever become happy in this material thing. Or, they're afraid of the idea, what if I surrender to Krishna? Oh, then maybe he'll be, how can I become the servant of Krishna? What if he mistreats me? Why should I become the servant of anyone? Rather, I should become the master. So, failing to recognize that we are not the master of anything. We are not the master of our circumstances. Even, you see, America is such a, a developed country. But when there's a hurricane, they usually come in Florida. There's nothing they can do to stop it. They can't say, hey look, this is America, don't come here. Nothing they can do. Japan has so many hurricanes. Technologically, economically advanced country. But they cannot control the weather. They can't, what, what can we control? There's a sense, I am controlling. But ultimately we have no power to control, even when it's time to pass stool, we can't even control that. So, what is the meaning of thinking that I am the controller? But out of fear, we fear to submit to Krishna's control. Thinking that, well, I'll be, if I submit to Krishna, then I may be mistreated. 
But we're already under the control of Krishna. Just that we are under the control, just like prisoners in the prison house. This material world is like a prison house. We are controlled by the laws of material nature. Birth, death, old age and disease. So to, to submit to Krishna means to come to the spiritual world where there are no stringent laws. Simply everyone is happy with Krishna. But we doubt that. We, we lack faith in Krishna. Or we may feel angry against the whole concept of religion. But there are so many cheaters in the name of gurus. Why should I accept any of them? I had this experience myself when I was first introduced to Krishna consciousness. I must have been about 15 at the age. One friend of mine showed me some books, some of these books. I said, would you like to see? I said, no. I've seen all these gurus from India. They're all cheaters. So I didn't even look and I wasted three years of my life because three years later I looked again and then well, I got the opportunity, then I looked, and I thought, oh, this is something different. This isn't cheating. So many cheaters I'd seen that I was not even, I didn't even want to have anything to do with it. I was fed up, angry. What is all this nonsense? So for various reasons, people may not develop faith in Krishna, but if we develop faith, transcendental faith in Krishna, then we can find our actual spiritual life developing. This is the purpose of life as given in Bhagavad Gita. And you can go here, there and study so many different philosophies, this and that. But we won't find any philosophical system that is as replete as that given within the Vaishnav understanding of Vedanta. And we won't find any practical process that is as simple and pleasing and practical as this process of Krishna consciousness. Just by singing the names of Krishna one becomes purified and those who have faith in this process, they can appreciate that by chanting these names of Krishna, this is not anything ordinary, this is extraordinary, this is transcendental sound. We can compare the chanting of Hare Krishna with any mundane sound. Just like there are popular songs. What's the famous cinema song at the moment. Anyone can say? Anyone so stupid to listen? But you can't even avoid it. Even if you, I, I used to know most of them. Because, not that I listen, you just hear now and then. I, I don't know what it is now. Any song. A few years ago, this is quite a few years ago, there was some song in which they they kept on saying the word, must, must, must. You know that song? Some cinema song? They know it. They used to hear the kids on the train singing it and this and that. So that's not so popular nowadays. Eh? It's become out of fashion. So whatever the song may be, if you play it again and they say you have a cassette and you play it again, the first time you say, hey, that's really great. And the second time, yeah, pretty good. And the third time, yeah. And the tenth time, you want to take the cassette player and throw it up. You get fed up. So it's like that. The popular song, after some time, it becomes, you have to bring a new one. But chanting Hare Krishna, no need of any new song. We're chanting this repeatedly. Over and over and over again, we don't become tired. Why is that? Because the name of Krishna is not a material sound that becomes hackney, but rather by chanting the name of Krishna, the devotee enters more and more into his relationship with Krishna. This cannot be described or rationalized on the material platform. 
This has to be experienced on the spiritual platform. But the point here is that in explaining the purpose of life, our proposition is that this is it. Everything we need to know about the purpose of life, we can find out from this book, Bhagavad Gita, as it is. Hare Krishna. One should see, an intelligent person should see, that there is nothing in this material world, nothing in material civilization of any deep or intrinsic purpose. Everyone is acting for happiness but not attaining happiness. So Krishna Conscious means to attain that happiness which cannot be attained by any material endeavor, that happiness which can be attained by understanding that I am not the body, the body is temporary, my eternal relationship is with Krishna. And this is very practical, as we can see by the chanting of Hare Krishna, that it automatically lifts one to the transcendental position, whatever one may be. One automatically becomes spiritually enlivened by the chanting of the holy names of Krishna. So we invite you to take part in this. Everything about Krishna consciousness cannot be understood immediately. Just like anything, everything about any subject can't be understood immediately. If one just enters medical school and says, Teach me how to do neurosurgery. It is not a reasonable proposition. So in the same way, if one is just coming to Krishna Conscious and he wants immediately to understand everything, it's not a very reasonable proposition. One should go step by step, as Krishna himself recommends in Bhagavad Gita. Shanai Shanai Rutharamed Dhritya One should go step by step and make progress with intelligence and determination. So Hare Krishna, I'll finish there. Is there any question about this? No one likes to ask questions because they're afraid. Afraid of being exposed as not knowing something. Well, of course we don't know. Good. Thank you for your courage in asking a question. I'll say that way. Is there any relation in this material world which can be relied upon? Any relation in this material world which can be relied upon? Well, relation literally means father, mother, sister, daughter. You mean relationship? Relationship. Is there any relationship in this material world which can be relied upon? From the question we can understand that you have concluded that no material relationship is reliable, which is true. Not, it's not reliable because it's limited by time. We can only rely upon relationships in this material world. We can only rely upon them to cause suffering. Spiritual relationships can be cultivated within this material world. They, even though within this material world, they are of a different relation, of a different nature. So the only thing that can be relied upon is that which is not subject to time. Everything in material nature is subject to time. Everything of the spiritual nature is not subject to time and therefore can be relied upon to remain. Everything which is material is subject to destruction. Everything which is non-material is not subject to destruction. 
It's a simple principle. So spiritual relationships, that means those which are conducted in relationship to Krishna, they are reliable. Even if conducted within this material world, they partake of the nature of the spiritual world, if actually based on the pure devotional principle. Any other questions? Spiritual relation, yeah. Krishna. Hmm? What is wrong with uh, Is it okay to be attached to devotees? Is it all right to be attached to devotees? One should be attached. It's not only all right, but one should be attached to devotees. That is the path to getting Krishna's blessings. That Mahatsevam Dwaram Ahudi Muktis. Service to great personalities, devotees. Mahatsevam Dwara, through this, Ahovimuktas, this is the path to the topmost liberation or establishment in Krishna consciousness. Tamodwaraish. Yojitam Sangi Sangam. This verse is spoken by Rishabdev to his sons. He states that persons who are attached on the material platform to women and sex life, that is the gateway to hell. So we should be attached to devotees on the spiritual platform. That means on the platform of serving Krishna. Should be. That is the way to attain the highest stage of Krishna consciousness. Without association of devotees, one cannot advance in Krishna consciousness. One cannot even chant Hare Krishna properly. Asadhu Sangye Bhai Krishna Naam Nahi Krishna Naam Bahire Bhate Tabu Naam Nahi Without the guidance of devotees, we can't even chant the holy names of Krishna properly. We can make some sound, but that will not be pleasing to Krishna. Unless chanting is undertaken under the guidance of devotees. So association with devotees is essential. Initially, faith in the experience of the acharyas. We need to have faith in the experience of the acharyas. So, is it in the experience or in the instructions? In the instructions. So, is it possible at any point? Instructions of the acharyas are according to shastra. Yes. Yeah. So, is it possible at any point to set the whatever they instruct? Is it possible to sense what they are studying? In other words, you are asking, is it possible to experience Krishna consciousness? Of course. Krishna consciousness is ultimately meant to be experienced. We are talking on a philosophical platform here. But ultimately, Krishna consciousness is to be experienced. Krishna consciousness means love of Krishna based on service to Krishna. So love is to be experienced. When we are chanting Hare Krishna, we are experiencing, maybe in a very preliminary way, the effects of Krishna consciousness. So certainly Krishna consciousness we experience, but we don't emphasize only experience, because then one can easily be misled. There should be a philosophical basis also. But certainly Krishna consciousness is to be experienced. And if we don't experience something better in Krishna consciousness, even from the beginning, then why should we continue with this? Certainly Krishna consciousness is to be experienced. There are different levels of experiencing Krishna consciousness. In the beginning we experience that Krishna consciousness 
taken to it relieves us from the miserable consciousness of material life. Kleshagami, this is the first symptom of taking to Krishna consciousness. That we become free from the miserable consciousness of material thinking. So that's the beginning experience. And there are so many others. Kleshagami, Shubhadha. And the next experience is we find that our whole life becomes filled with auspiciousness which we can't imagine on the material platform. And what's the next? Moksha Krit Laguttam. What is that? How does it go? Vishagni Shubhata Moksha Laguta Krit. Then as one the next section